Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we are biracial unicorns. And we're not sad. We're just extremely over it. I feel like that's where I live, Damika. <laughs> I, you know, some the perpetual eye roll has caused significant strain mm. on my eyeballs. Like between staring at a computer all day, constant eye rolling, it's it's amazing that any of us have functioning <laughs> eyeballs anymore. I can't. I, I always fear that we're just gonna eventually evolution's just gonna catch up to be more like mole person than with the horrific eyesight from the amount of <laughs> just screen. bugged out eyeballs yeah. that can like <laughs> do their own thing extended thumbs from phone screening like you know constantly that uh, just uh, uh, it's uh. hideous i hate it <laughs> but here we are in the thick of it we're just in the extremities of it all oh which yeah. is the the mindset and the not so great segue into our topic today. Yes, I think um, just this idea of being over it rather than being sad is a big part of what we're talking about today, which is grief. Um, as, <laughs> as everyone is aware, we are living in a time of huge individual and collective grief uh and we've we've hit hit on it um we've touched on it throughout the last year and a half as we've existed um in this world with daily reminders about this as an american society we are really uh struggling with this and figuring out how we can live through it push past it um express it, discuss it, process it, all of these things. Um, the, the last time we really explicitly talked about grief was, was quite a while back, uh, our episode on social media etiquette, which we'll link in our show notes. There are two types of grief that we bring up within that episode, the public and the private. And in this moment, when we look at kind of the holistic public and private forms of grief, in this moment, in this last year and a half, in this time of COVID, uh, you would be really hard pressed to find somebody who wasn't grieving someone or something. Uh, so today we really want to touch a, touch on this world of grief and and just discuss it with all of you here. We'll we'll talk a little bit about what what it is and and perhaps we'll get to a little bit of ways of how to process it. But as we said, we're just kind of over it rather than feeling it. So I think mm -hmm. that's that's a messy place to start from. It is. I th I think that's right there. I have two hurdles even just personally with grief is pinpointing it because grief is not anxiety and grief is not depression though yes. you can feel anxiety and depression with grief yes and, yes and, and and that's the thing and wanting so desperately to be in that place of over it <laughs> that once again you kind of can push past grief so just even pinpointing it and narrowing it down is so difficult with grief. So that's one of my biggest hurdles with grief. Mm -hmm. And then grief, 
a huge thing of grief at what I find to be challenging is someone who is a chronic overthinker and professional yes. warrior. <laughs> it's yes. the inability to live in the present. Grief is something that simultaneously lives in the past, but impacts the future. Hmm. You, with grief, you cannot help but be in a reflective things of situations, hopes, uh, people that you miss in a mourning place. So, right. So you're perpetually kind of reflecting on the past while also thinking about the person, the situation, the plans of the future of what it will be missed or what it could have been, what it should have been. And you are, you know, we, we joke about how much we like time travel. It's this feeling of perpetually living in past and future with the inability to live in the present. And it makes it very hard to process when you're not allowed to be in the moment. It is challenging. It's like when you're just trying to make it to tomorrow, how do you do that with grief? Yes. Yes. Great, great question, Tamika. And I think for... For many of us in this last year and a half, for those of us who have lost people, um, and I, I'm talking loss through death explicitly here, um, I think in many ways, while it is not an easier struggle, it is not easier, it is a more socially acceptable struggle. People understand and recognize that grief is a normal reaction to the death of a loved one. Uh, and I think as a society, we have not put that same connection with the loss of friendship, the loss of health, the loss of plans, uh, the loss of access. Like we haven't we haven't associated grief as an acceptable way to process other types of loss within our lives. And I think there is a bit of a, a bit of momentum towards the grief of uh, collective grief of people of color, but I think it's still kind of in its infancy as far as a, a society and being able to talk about that. So so while we're talking about like all these sorts of types of grief, I feel like not to diminish the importance of loss of a loved one through death, because that is that is huge and in many ways feels very final. Uh, I think we're kind of putting that a little bit on a shelf so that we can talk about this other type of grief that is less socially acceptable. Exactly. I, I while it's on the shelf, like I said, it's not devaluing. It's just realizing that there are already rituals and uh, routines and things to honor that and process and resources and research uh, steps, programs. I mean, when someone passes, the first thing there's there's cards and books and meals and there's there's a lot of uh, systems in place in order to help that. Not that it makes it any easier, but like Danny said, it's not diminishing it. It is just putting in its place of this other kind of grief is still very great. And I still think in a world where we're decolonizing mental health, especially amongst people of color, we're in process of that. I think that has a lot to lend to this kind of subset, you know, in quotation marks, 
of, of grief. So going forward, I think when we're talking about that kind of putting that emphasis on this feeling of that entitled, unentitled grief that some people feel, because you can even feel bad about grieving about something you don't feel is worthy of the ultimate grief that we, isn't it weird that we put hierarchy in, of grief? Isn't that it's, bizarre? It's weird that we put hierarchy on, on feelings of any kind, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Girl, I, I, I detect no lies. <laughs> like, But it's true. And you know how many times do we say like, oh, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be upset because I couldn't go to prom. Because yeah. I know people who've lost loved ones during this time. And I think, I think everyone does that. Um, uh-huh. But in my experience... It's more often women who express or girls who express it out loud in that way. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't Mm. be this way, Uh, particularly surrounding feelings of grief or sadness. Like this isn't as bad as blah, blah, blah. Yep. Yep. And once again, that is challenging the strong woman of color narrative, right? Yes. Yes. Because even if there is grief, there is this still awe of like, oh, you just, you've overcome that. Oh, you've got through that. You're going to get through it. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. You are strong. Mm-hmm. And instead of allowing that space to be vulnerable, to name it, being like, is this depression? Is this sadness? Is this grief? Because you can give a pill to grief or give a pill to depression, can't you? You can, there's a prescription for that. We I think in people's inability. I would challenge and push back on that, but we oh. <laughs> have to go down that path. Oh, oh, I got, oh, yes, indeed. It's, uh, but, but that's just the thing, you know, people, I think depression and anxiety in society feels like they have the prescription. It's easier to deal with and even have the verbiage, but because we are so uncomfortable with grief, we don't even know how to comfort those who are grieving. We yes. don't. Yes. And and for me, as somebody who has spent their life struggling with depression and anxiety, I get those feelings and I'm like, hello, old friend. And mm. I get the feelings of grief and I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to process this. I'm just going to cry. Like, I don't know <laughs> how to deal with it. Yes, exactly. Because once again, we don't because we don't talk about it. And because you personally, you're saying, I don't know what to deal with it. How are you supposed to then turn help somebody else who's grieving? Yes. How? How? Uh, so w- with this, uh, in preparing for the show, I was like, there's got to be a word for people who think they have unentitled grief mm-hmm. of the lesser griefs. And I mean, I was going crazy. I knew I read something and uh, it was nuts. And finally found is this information from Kenneth uh, Doka from the late, late eighties talking about this coining of the word of disenfranchised grief. Mm. And that's the one where it's basically, it's not publicly supported grief. And where we're talking about the change in job, the, the loss of a friendship, uh, plans changing, uh, security changing, safety, those, those, like you said, those lesser griefs per se, um, that in society, we, we kind of tend to be like, oh, you lost a pet. It is sad, but it's not a human or you can get another pet. You know, that's just kind of an extreme example, but people do feel that way. That's their, that's their default mode, isn't it? Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, I like I like that there is this terminology to to encompass that. Uh, I've also heard heard it referred to as like hidden grief, um, but I do like I do like the action word disenfranchised because I think it's it's not just the fact that your grief is hidden; it's the fact that you're you're being pushed out, you're being um, told that you're you're other or you're your reaction is too strong or it's unwarranted. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And I think I think recognizing those as types of grief, even if you need to put it in this label of disenfranchised grief, is a, an important step to recognizing what it is. And once you recognize something, then you are empowered to work through it, um, to sit with it, to let let it unfold and see what what you can learn from that moment um, and and what you need to hold on to and what you can let go of. And I, I think I think we're all perhaps very guilty of, as we mentioned before, pushing through, um, kind of just not not recognizing it, not sitting with it, not dealing with it, but just thinking about, oh, no, the way I deal with it is I get over it rather mm-hmm. than dealing with it in order to get over it. Say it, say it well, once again, because the ideal of grief has been mostly grieving the loss of a loved person. We have shoved the idea of the five stages of grief. That's what it looks like. That's the process. And once you're done, you're good. That that's 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 what it is. That is yeah. the gold standard of dealing with grief once you've labeled it, right? But once again, it's because we have not allowed to go into these kind of disenfranchised labels of grief and give them that validity. Something's not valid. No one's going to actually take the time to figure out how to process it. So there was a, a short uh, podcast from NPR on their life kit, and it talked about the griefs that seem small. And they actually had some really uh, part of that first step of dealing with these disenfranchised grief is saying that your grief is valid. And, and I think that you just brought that that point so perfectly. So. We have grief that people are terrible at actually identifying, not great at processing. People tend to invalidate types of grief. So what does that mean, Danny, at a time when we're saying we are all experiencing a collective grief of what we would classify as disenfranchised grief? Girl. Yeah, it's it's an interesting time to be human. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. Yeah, I I think there is perhaps more of a push in this current moment to give that space for grief. Uh more so than I can ever remember seeing throughout my life. Uh but I, but I do think it is still challenging right now. And I think it's it's compounded by the fact that even now, even still, many of us are living very isolated lives. Um, so everything has to be done privately. And I think that there is a process of grief that is that is served by the public, uh, by being open and having community to help you process it. So, so I think 
in many ways right now, that's one of the big struggles is like finding a way to just do it privately. You mentioned earlier to take our, our conversation back <laughs> off the shelf. Um, you mentioned earlier that when dealing with the grief of loss of someone through death, um, we we have rituals and we have things that we do surrounding that. But I think those have been harder for people um, over the last year and a half with with not wanting to create more risk uh, surrounding COVID-19. And I, and I have lost um, I've lost family members throughout this last year and a half. Um, and it has early on, it was, I think I may have shared on the show. It was very strange to have not be able to com- to participate in these rituals in person. Uh, right as things were opening up, I did lose my grandmother and that was a, a very big and very hard thing for me. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> um, and I think it was, a, it was an interesting time because things were opening up. So while going through the process of grief in a way that I understood, I was also living in an existence I did not understand anymore. Like being in close proximity to lots of people, being around people unmasked, like all of these things as things were opening up in the spring um, in order to do these rituals that were still not quite the rituals that I know. Mm. Um, so I think I think it's weird because like even even the rituals that we have are being done differently. Um, and then of course, dealing with this disenfranchised grief that we don't have ritual surrounding and figuring out, well, what is the ritual I can create for myself to deal with this? Um, but also <laughs> that that need and that hunger to connect with community while processing. Well, that's what's crazy about collective grief. And so we have people who actually had great amount of loss and then the triggering of trauma, which can make people grieve. So we've talked about, especially for people of color, uh, witnessing numerous uh the execution, the, the slaughter, the murdering of, of people of color uh, very publicly through recording by at the hands of police. Uh, I was just thinking and try, the other night, like trying not to cry, reading information about the over the thousand unmarked graves from the Canadian residential schools and re- feeling like, where do I, I don't get to grieve that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how, how dare I? Oh, I'm going to stop you for just a second because I feel like that that phrase I don't get to grieve that is mm-hmm. part of what we're challenging in this moment. For sure. Uh, we are, especially when we're talking about this collective grief that we're all feeling. It's not that you are, you have to be entitled to having grief. Uh, I think a perhaps less, less controversial um, <laughs> uh, example of this is, is grieving the loss of a, a celebrity, right? Mm. Like we see people online all the time being like, "R.I.P. I loved you in this and this and this." Uh, and so <laughs> there's there's a certain subset of people who feel entitled to to have that grief, and then there's the haters <laughs> like me who are judging people <laughs> for feeling that grief. But I don't have. 
I don't have that ability to tell people what they are feeling grief about or not. Like that is so individual. So even if you are not to bring back to this, these residential schools, even if you are not indigenous, you are still entitled to feel that grief. Like everyone is, everyone should feel that grief. And I was just about to challenge. That's the thing. We are too busy trying to figure out who gets to be entitled instead of being like, but everyone should be grieving that because that's that empathy. Yes. That's the thing. Yes. If people, more people actually grieved and collectively gr- like grieved this, I think a lot more would be done. And a lot more, does that make sense? We would have a lot more push. There'd be a lot more understanding. We would be able to, you know, actually make active change. And there's no way we can ever, in quotation marks, make up for this. But we have to take a hard look of what brought us to here. And those who are involved need to take responsibility. I'm I'm looking at parts of like the church and Christianity that they need to openly repent and they need to make this right. And I'm grieved. Like my spirit is grieved by that. And I think more, I'm shocked that there isn't more a collective grief about it. But like you said, I struggled reading this whole time in my heart being broken of being like, who am I to grieve? And I'm like, who put that in my head? Because I feel that way a lot, a lot of things. I'm like, you don't get to do that. You need to make space for who actually deserve, deserve, and who are allowed or who are entitled to that. And it is such, it's the stopper of empathy. You know, you know what I think it is? I think it's exactly the, what you're saying about, I know my judgment. That's what it is. I know my judgment who put their own grief and worry out there ahead of those who really need that spotlight and support. And I know what I would think of someone doing that and doing the most. And so it's even me catching my own judgment and labeling yes. of people. And it's like, oh, because I judge other people, I'm also stopping myself. Yes. Yes. We judge ourselves the harshest, you know, and 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 around this particular collective grief, I found myself in a similar situation and I am part indigenous. And I think for me, it's like that focus, that emphasis, emphasis on part, right? Like I am not whole. I'm like, it, it goes back to these things that we talk about all the time. Like, and I'm, I'm checking myself in my own internal language of like, no, you you are indigenous, even if you are just part, you know, and yes, of course, you feel a connection to these people because of that. And I think it goes to a larger conversation about, you know, the the settler colonialist wow. uh, mentality and the disappearance of indigenous populations in order to build new societies on this expropriated land, right? Like, I think we have already used this, like, elimination-based logic to render the death of Indigenous people as ungrievable and to render that, that part of those of us who are people who are of Indigenous descent, who have been raised outside of that culture and that society, we, we render render that is like unreachable within Mm. us so i think this is like (laughs) this is a a beautiful conversation because it is the perfect storm of like so many things we've talked about again and again um and it, it makes even even the step to recognizing that grief so difficult well it checks a lot of things we talk about doesn't it Mm. because even 
our both of our reaction to the Canadian Residential School talks about our progress of things we talk about a lot, which is mental health, otherism, one drop rule, are we enough? And I don't I won't speak for you, but there are moments where I feel I've made so much progress on validating my own feelings, my own existence in my mixedum and my browndom. Um and, but th- then I have this and I go, wow, I'm not nearly as far. My reaction still is to otherize myself. It is still not to value my mental health. I still have such a long way to go. And I think that's another thing with grief. It is a good checker. It's a checker to see how you're doing in a lot of these things that we encompass and we talk a lot about. It's heavy. Yeah. You brought up you brought up decolonizing mental health. But I think what you're talking about right here, too, is just the the process of decolonizing our minds. Like, this is our minds. Oh, and, and, when I, and when I say mind, I'm saying mind in in the like kokoro sense. The Japanese word for, for heart is the same word as for mind. So like, this is what I'm meaning by mind. It's like, not just like our intellect, but our feelings and being able to decolonize that. Uh, and I think you're right that, that, that grief is like a good, a good marker for seeing where we are on that journey. It is. Well, even with BLM, I, th- I mean, I think I shared with you and on the show as someone who is mixed and, you know, I'm not, I'm not fair, but I'm definitely medium skin tone and thinking I don't get to participate fully in some of this because I have yes. lived a different existence. I, you know, I, I really, I've traveled, you know, I, I might sound different, lived in different neighborhoods. Where do I fit in with that because of my experience of not ever feeling black enough for that. So I feel like I have to go above and beyond the call. And once again, that is a colonistic way of having division within and per- perpetuating my experience and privilege of colorism. Like it's, it's crazy. It just checked it. Grief, wanting to grieve with people checked where I still think where I belong within the black community. Yeah, it, we gatekeep oof. ourselves, huh? <laughs> it's crazy. And, and grief did that. Grief highlighted that. Not my depression, not my anxiety. It exacerbates that. But where I choose to allow myself to grieve, put my whole self in check. Yes. It's, and I was not expecting that. And I think that's what makes grief so hard and why our compassion towards other people who are grieving so difficult. And it, I think it keeps us so separate we you know uh bell hooks day will be coming up and we'll, we'll be talking a lot about her her themes about girl to, you know you, i was already yeah, going yeah. there your whole ah, talk about ah. love was like yeah. so bell hooks yeah. <laughs> like but that that that's just the thing this 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 inability to allow ourselves to grieve is really blocking ourselves to be able to have compassion and love towards other people. Because if I can recognize if, like I said, if I can reach over and see indigenous people and been like, I grieve with you, that's an extension, isn't it? What we normally look as grief as collective grief is like, no, I'm going to allow you out of perspective, just let you grieve. No, I'm going to be really, really bold here and say, no, 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 no. I'm going to allow you to have that interpersonal grief. I'm not going to take the mic away from that, but I'm going to extend and say, I grieve with you. I've shed tears for you and I want to make change for you. Yes, make change. I think this is really important. This is like part of a big part of what our discussion today on grief is, is 
not only is it important to engage with this grief, but I think we need to mobilize grief as a resource to demand transformative structural justice, especially surrounding these collective griefs of BLM, of these uh, residential school deaths of of so uh, of of the deaths of uh, trans women of color, that uh, there are so many moments of collective grief, and I think it is important for us to connect and feel together and give space for healing. But I think we need to take that healing and take that grief and use it as a resource to demand change. Exactly, because those who are grieving need to grieve. That that's what I'm so I'm thinking about when we were having stop AAPI hate. I'm like, you grieve. Yeah. You heal. You heal those wounds. You come together. You practice whatever you all need to feel strong. I'm tapping in. Cause I grieve with you. And though my grieving process will look different because it impacts us different ways, I got you. That's why I feel like it's a fight that we're tagging into. I still have to process it too, but my process should be used, like you said, to make that change. And the same thing with Indigenous people. I feel like you get to grieve. You, If you need to be still and you need to motivate and you need to get therapy and you need to come together as much as you can, you do that. I got this round. Because that's what grief should motivate us to do. Yes, and that's to to reiterate that is a lot of bell hooks of of her her kind of messaging her like the core of so much of her work as she talks about not not grief but love and love in the sense that if you truly love one another you cannot help but want change to make the world better for everyone. And so that means really standing in solidarity with and demanding change for the most marginalized amongst our society. I mean, for, for anyone, and then once again, challenging, I, I got, I, I guess I woke up today and, and chose challenging uh, for those who, who who say that they follow in the light of Christ, it's like we are actually called in the Bible to bear one another's burdens. Mm. That, that's what we're called to do. We don't get to pick and choose if we say that we're supposed to love our neighbors. Our neighbors who are different from us will have burdens. And we're actually called to bear those burdens with them. And to share the burden of grief is not something that we should ever take lightly or ignore. That's part of the deal. I, I I know I I I take that I know I'm normally quite laughy and quite lighthearted, but this is something I take very seriously because once again, not being able to deal with grief blocks actual legitimate love and the deepening of relationships. And whether it's you missed a prom or you've lost someone, uh, you know, it's whether you're a, a, a the family of a trans woman who has passed or you didn't get to go to your graduation. I see you. And I'm so sorry and have, have a heaviness and a weight and a love for them. Like, I'm going to bear your burden with you and help you process this. Like, I just can't imagine a greater love than say, I'm not going to get it right. I'm not going to say the right things, but how can, how can I come alongside you? And also allowing people to come aside to, to do the same thing for you. I don't know. I know that looks very utopian, 
and I, I know that sounds like so much work and so outside of our nature and this individualistic culture that we have, but yeah. we've been doing it the same way for so long and it's, it's not working you all. Yeah. It's, it's not. I mean, how, how do we hold that space for grief in a world that seems to be so full of grief uh, and and not just be overburdened by it all, right? Like we're talking even larger scale, like I would be lying if I didn't point out that I'm like grieving for the planet and grieve, like thinking about climate change. And we joke about like the water wars, but like I like I'm I'm overwhelmed <laughs> even do, like and that's one thing you know and all these other things that you pointed out like how do we how do we open ourselves up and allow ourselves to process this grief and not just like collapse under the weight of it all oh girl you know I struggle with the collapse because I like I've said before I tend I am a chronic overthinker if that podcast i listened to which i thought they're talking about getting down to the root of it and actually naming it and and talking to someone um <laughs> because we we really suck at this and that's what i think is probably the most challenging is actually saying i i think i'm grieving and i think i'm really struggling and i i can't seem to get out of this this well and i'm needing help with that the one thing I thought was quite difficult with some of these bigger issues, they said like to find a ritual to honor the loss. I thought that was really interesting. What we're saying with the death of a loved one, it's it's kind of just written in, in our American society anyway. We have these traditions, right, that we have when someone dies. But with these other scale issues, like how do I mourn the loss of uh, Brianna Taylor? How do How do I do that from where I am? You know, how do I find a ritual to honor that loss? I, I don't know. Like you said, the planet. How do I mourn that or find a ritual when it's an ongoing thing? I don't know. I don't know how we work that into larger things, but I do know I can't do it on my own. Even just having, you know, sisterhood that we talked about and having that inner circle of what can I do when I feel very powerless and it feels so absolutely overwhelming in a time where anxiety is already so high and it just comes down to if it's a collective grief we have to collectively heal it's yeah yeah i i don't i think we're still working on that answer yes and and i think this idea of collective healing goes back to the discussion we were having around decolonizing right i think we have made the process of grieving to be a very, as you've said, individualistic practice. And I think in the decolonized model, it is more collective, like mm-hmm. you're saying. Like, I think, you know, you you think about the stereotype of the loss of a, a loved one. Well, what do you do to deal with it? Like, maybe you go to a therapist and the therapist has the answers and tells you what to do. And then you go home and you do them on your own. And it's hard and it takes time, but you'll you'll get through the other side. Like the decolonized model is not that, right? Like, yes, maybe you still do go to a therapist, but not with the idea that they are the holder of all knowledge, like they are helping you process. And it's, it's a very 
um, both individual but also collective process in doing that. And you have a community that helps you. Uh, and and if you're all grieving the same thing, I know that in my personal experience, it's easiest to grieve the loss of something with other people who are experiencing that same loss. And that's not just the loss of a person, but like the loss of an event, the loss Mm -hmm. of, of the world that was like a loss of all these things is easier when you have a network of people who either can relate specifically to the way that you're feeling or who hold, hold space for you enough that they can see you and see how you're working through a thing and be there in support of you. I'm, I love that. I, I love that. I, you're right. There is a, a flipping of the mind of how we, of how we do these things. It's so funny. I was talking to my husband and preparing for this episode of I, my husband used to work in the honor guard for air force. So he's, I was asking his thought process on funerals as mm-hmm. a whole and experiencing death. Like, him having to fold a flag to give it to the next of kin from someone who dies. And like, I'm, how have you done that? I mean, he's done that for, a, he did it for a very long time of honoring people and just anyone who's ever actually watched a military funeral, even if that's not your thing, there's something about the pomp and circumstance that's actually really moving and beautiful. And just asking that experience. And then of course there's my experience of far too many funerals but then I have this side from the south and I remember going to a funeral when I was young and the morning of a great aunt that had passed during that time of that experience being very different between mourning within my black side and mourning within my white side even Mm -hmm. just from culture to culture of how they view that and once again it's going the individual personal one of more of of white or even asking my husband about the pop and circumstances and the solemnness and giving space, right? Space is huge in grief. Space is huge in grief. Uh, but I remember the collective wailing. I know mm-hmm. it sounds, could sound quite dark, but I remember being in this packed hot church and, you know, I know sometimes TV and movies can over exaggerate the black church experience. I get that. It's based off of something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All stereotypes have a, have a state of truth. I remember there was this part where there wasn't music playing, but somehow the wailing sunk up like a chorus. And there was this collective calling and crying and wailing. And it started to mimic the waves of the sea and the ocean of the ebb and flow of the tears of sorrow. And I just remember almost being lost and swept up in this wave of sadness and mourning and it being almost un overwhelming for my 11 year old body and it's funny that night you know because you have to have a meal and the meal lasts forever after a funeral i remember being able to hear people laugh and having people not because and at that time i could not put in my mind how could these people who i saw in the most agonizing pain be able to process be able to sit here and eat it's because they have collectively understood and have shared and have spilled and have felt and have basically have met that person on to their next phase of whatever in the great beyond. Uh, you know? yeah. And it, because of that, they're able to have that space to have some kind of joy, to have some kind of appreciation for togetherness. And I think even 
from we talked about the disenfranchised grief if we're able to have that collective wail that the almost that dumping that coming that that out processing of that loss of what the future will the uncertainty of the future without this event of having to go on even now the uncertainty of what the world's going to look like post covid of having that out publicly oh i don't even that would be so powerful I don't know what it looks like practically, but I can just imagine just the relieving of a person's soul. <sighs> yeah, I think I think our, our big takeaways are you have to acknowledge your grief. There there is no barrier for entry to grief about anything. Uh what is I found this website that had a, a really great article um, with examples of disenfranchised grief. Uh, the website is whatsyourgrief.com. Um, Love it. But they have like a, a huge, pretty inclusive list. Uh, so if you're still struggling with this idea of what can I feel grief about, that might be helpful for you. So I think that's that's step one is is recognizing and allowing yourself to grieve. Uh, step two is perhaps thinking about these ideas of ritual as a way to grieve and thinking about how to collectively or lean on your community in order to grieve. Grief should not have to be individual. Um, and sometimes it is, but I think, I think you can still lean on people to help you through grief and to remember that Grief does not have a timeline. Um, mm, I think <laughs> uh, an example my therapist gave to me about grief is sometimes it can feel like exiting a burning building, right? You're like, sometimes you're really close to the fire and sometimes you're, you've moved away from it. And sometimes you fall back into the basement as you think you're just about to get out. And I know it's like a really bleak version of grief, but I think it's real. I think That's that is, perfect. that is the experience of grief. Oh, mm, I, I love that. And in finding these collective ones, what can you then do with it? And we're talking about if it's collective and for purpose, moving it forward. And then I think in other areas, using it as a, as like that, that catalyst of, you know, how can I then turn show other people how to grieve? Like doing something with it. <laughs> once you're gonna have it, it's a. But once again, we talked about being kind to yourself, and in that, I think it will in turn allow you to be kind to others in that. But you can't do that to others until you do it for yourself. Believe me, I. You just can't. You can't treat the sick well while being ill yourself. Whew, I feel like we should just like give space for like <laughs> letting that energy out. Uh, and then we should move into talking about our happy place. Yes. Mika, <laughs> what is your happy place? I was trying to think of like an extra really good happy place to help like 
pull myself and us out of this this place that we were going to be in today. And I really struggled. I really struggled with a happy place. It's been a weird week. It's been a weird season. But you know what? I'm going to go with something basic. And I was going to say, oh, I do this every time this year. And then I realized I probably didn't because of the world. But back to school photos. It sounds so weird. And I know there's so many fears and mixed emotions. And it's weird even seeing little kids in masks. But you know what? There's these little glimpse of hope mm-hmm. you get. And I got my daughter got to have her first day of school photo and she a proper one and she hasn't had one in like almost two years, it feels. And her honestly, she just glowed. She just radiated just happiness of what people can take for granted is just going to school and friends who have kids had their little photos up there and their faces just beamed with like hope and opportunity and I just felt like it was my it's my job as an adult to be concerned and just try to figure out what's happening it's their job to experience the hope and the joy and it, it, I don't know and then of course my second favorite back to school photo was of my lovely co-host Danny who who had that was my favorite <laughs> was going to school to third doctorate and I'm so proud I am. I honestly, I'm such a mom, guys. It's gross. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, what do you oh, I have this, you know, podcast? And my co-host is going for her doctorate. She's doing very well. <laughs> you know, it's just very, very intelligent. Education. I like she's she's like a student of students of students. She's like a teacher's <laughs> teacher. Like, and so I love seeing that and it just fills me with so much hope and so much joy. So yep. Uh, thank you, boo. This was not my happy place, but I, I want to insert it in um, how much I appreciate your words and your support. And um, I love that it it makes you feel hopeful. This is something my husband also said to me was, um, you know, the world feels like hard. <laughs> um, and he's like, but it gives me hope to know that, like, you're out there with other like minded people like studying and doing this work to think about how to reimagine the world. Like it feels very hopeful. And I thought that that was so beautiful and so kind of him to say, and I was getting those vibes from you too. So um, that's a huge happy place for me. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't the happy place I had prepared. And I have to know what was prepared now. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it feels so trivial compared to it, but, um, I, I think my happy place has been trying, no, I'm just going to say getting back into walking. I think walking is just so important and for me serves really nicely as a, a transition between things, even if I'm in the same physical space to just take some time to walk. Um, I find for me, I, my brain is always going all the time, but sometimes in walking, I can, I can quiet it or at least, um, get it to, to calm a little bit, uh, and, and get a little bit more focused, uh, let go of some things and move into the next thing. So, uh, I am not. I am not back on the level that I was at the beginning of the pandemic, where I was walking like an hour a day, and it was amazing. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for just a few times a week of walking, uh, for at least half an hour if I can. And so, 
it's good for your health. It's good for your brain. It's a good transition. Can't speak highly enough of walking. <laughs> that is so good. And I think you're right. Just like just the move, moving of your body is going to be so, so good. in I think making those realistic goals for yourself of just having a flip and walk and anything that calms your mind, I am for. <laughs> yes. And, and and I know many of our unicorns who listen are are similar to, to me and similar to you in which we're juggling so many balls and so many things. So I think creating that transitional space between the things is important. And it can be it can be something like walking, but also be sometimes when I'm when I'm quite busy, I just like light and incense and that's my transition between things like building in some sort of transition i think is key in doing a million things at once Ooh, i like that and ultimately you just find little joys in, in a you know we joked about in i think our we did a bonus sode about you know, texas dot <laughs> it's all of texas and I think we talked, we jokingly said about this being like the dark times, but I think how do we combat that? And even the, the topic of today, you got to find some small joys. Yeah. Find them. Love and them. not, not as like a, a bandaid, but is no. a, like human experience is so diverse and we have to acknowledge and allow for that diversity of emotion. And if we're too caught up in the heaviness and in the grief and don't remember that there is joy in our lives, we are going to collapse. So, yeah, finding those small joys. And I think that was that was kind of the basis for for this segment from the beginning is exactly that the world is heavy and we want we want to stand up and embrace that and fight through it and sit with it. But we can't do that if we aren't remembering the joy, remembering the reason for the fight. Exactly. The reason. Exactly. Seeing those kids and like, yes. And what are they teaching those kids? So I'm going to fight that we have curriculum that's inclusive and true. That you know, I'm going to keep fighting for that, you know, and making space, making sure teachers get paid well, making sure that they have what they need fighting for better health care. Like I want more of those little glimmers of joy. So to be this huge, all consuming fire of joy for people, but there are things in the way and we have to tackle them. And you're right. That's what, you know, we talk about the hard things so we can get to the joy. Yeah. And, and it helps recharge, right? Sometimes yeah, it is like yeah, yeah. color changing nail polish or <laughs> ghost stories in the bathtub. Yeah, exactly. Or bread soup it's it's always bread <laughs> and soup let's be honest which girl anyway i it's want to see soup it. season yeah it's almost the soup cast and i've got new soups for you stay tuned <laughs> <laughs> all right friends we want to hear all your thoughts um Feel free to share what you're grieving with us. Feel free to share how you're working through that grief. Uh, feel free to share your happy places. Feel free to share things that you would like us to discuss on the podcast. You can do that a variety of ways. You can send us an email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at biracialunicorns, and we're on Twitter at biracialmagic. 
We want to give a huge appreciative shout out to Deli Pop Art, who's made our very iconic unicorn photo. Please, please, please go stalk her. Go follow her Instagram. Her stuff is choice. We want to give a big shout out as well to Joseph Scott of Citizens of Tape City, who have new music coming out. Please go check them also at Instagram at Citizens of Tape City. We also want to give a thank you to So Smith Photography, who's done some lovely individual photos for us. She'll be at so Smith Photography also at Instagram. And if you're living anywhere near Oklahoma, she'll be doing some Christmas sessions and y'all do not want to miss that. I don't know how she capsulates magic, but she actually does. It's it's too cute. And while you're listening, we would so appreciate it if you take the time to give us a review, uh, share us with your friends, especially if this episode really hits home of, of uh, expressing grief. Uh, we would love to just be a catalyst and, you know, we like this information being out here. We don't want this to be in an echo chamber. And when people give reviews and ratings, that really helps boots us and gets the information out there. So we'd really appreciate if you take that time. Yeah. Um, also, dropping us a little coin never hurts. Uh, <laughs> uh, we we do do this completely independently. We do this without ads, as you can notice. And uh, we don't we don't get paid for this work, which is fine. But um, we would we would love and appreciate any financial support you could throw at us uh, in order to keep this podcast going. Yeah, that is the realist. <laughs> we're, we're, and we're not taking that money. We're just literally folding that money back into the show. So. Exactly. Most of it just keeps it to like where we have a place to put them. Really? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just the hosting of the actual show. So <laughs> we we appreciate that support. But as Namika said, no pressure. But if you can't do financial support, we do appreciate reviewing the show or telling your friends and spreading our reach further. So we will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode. Also, keep your eye on the feed for Bell Hooks Day well, dropping uh, soon. Uh, I feel like I need to make her own theme music. I know. I was just thinking that. I'm like, well, we don't have bell hooks music. What something like circa 1960s black exploitation superwoman? <laughs> I'm needing some walk, 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 bow. Like, I'm, I, it's, it's, I it's it. coming. I'm working it's through it. Beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> All right, y'all. We'll be back. We'll talk soon. Peace. Out. Peace.